Uh, it's lovely. Isn't it just lovely to hear the chatter happening and people connecting? And uh, that's, that's really great. After all, we are brothers and sisters in, in Christ, and it's good to be together. And uh, it's kind of neat to see you sitting around tables today like this, a little bit different than what we have usually had for sure. Um, I've got a couple of things before, before we get into the scripture today. I'm hoping that tonight... Many of you are going to see the super blood wolf moon. Does anybody know anything about that? It starts about 10 o'clock tonight, 9 or 10 o'clock tonight, and probably about midnight or so, like this is a total lunar eclipse. And uh, you get the idea that when you're there and you see this thing happening, that we're on this little ball, and there are other little balls that are hurtling around in, in, and that we're just these little creatures on this little bluish green planet and that there's somebody like way, way bigger than we are who's directing and managing all of this stuff out here. So it's really quite cool. It's a super moon because the moon is at its perigee, which means it's the closest to Earth that it ever gets. So it's gonna be really big. It's a blood moon because it's going to turn kind of red during the whole eclipse thing. And it's a wolf moon because it's the first full moon of the new year. And wolves love to howl at a big moon, I guess. I don't know, but that's what it is. So that's tonight. See what you can do with that. I also have a quick announcement that I need to make. And the announcement is, oh, I wanted to say this too. Because when Ruth and I were on our way down today, uh, driving down, we saw these beautiful sun dogs. You know what that is? So as the sun is coming up, you have these big, it's almost like um, rainbows on the sides, but you see just on the two sides like this. They were huge this morning. Something of the grandeur of God in creation, right? It was, it was lovely. That's total aside. Okay, there we go. Now, uh, I want to say something about pastoral care here at Forest View. So Nancy, Nancy has been pastoral care here for years and years, and she is in semi, I would say semi-retirement. I don't know what you're in, Nancy, but anyway, you're... <laughs> rest mode. Yeah, rest mode, okay. So we have developed another plan to, to really care for people within the church, and we want to, you to know about this. So there's actually going to be a pastoral care contact person who's going to contact you over the next three weeks just to be in touch with you, to make sure that you're doing okay, to hear how things are going, and so on. And um, then if you have any kind of a specific need at all, like you have a prayer request, or somebody's in the hospital, or there's a sickness, or there's a need for meals, or you have a question, like a spiritual question, or anything of the sort, we're asking you to call the office or to email the office to uh, uh, Tamara and to Paul, and they will be the quarterbacks of this whole thing, that when you contact them, they will see that your request gets out to some other people who will be in touch with you right away. And uh, the final thing here is that we... We're not sure we've got everybody's information just right. So if you would kindly, with all respect, due respect for privacy and all that kind of stuff, if you would, make sure that your name and your contact information and so on is accurate at the church. That would be really, really helpful. 
And uh, so we, we want the database to be totally updated. And I, the last thing I put in here is that you are a highly valued brother and sister at Forest View. And it's not God's intention, and it's not our intention either, that even one of us should go through something in this life alone. But that we're traveling together as brothers and sisters in Christ at Forest View. Does this make sense? Okay. Thanks. And then I have one other um, personal prayer request. I hope this is okay. Uh, Ruth and I, have, we have four kids, uh, three by natural birth, and one is adopted. I mentioned him. We also had a foster child with us for four years when he was in his teenage years. He's a grown man now. He had very complex trauma as a child. And he was with us during his high school years. He's on his own now as an adult. And he probably has PTSD. He's just now dealing with things that happened when he was a kid. And he is going through really, really deep waters. His name is Nicky. He's First Nations. He's an Inuit. Uh, we were living in Labrador. And, and uh, he's an Inuit from the coast of Labrador. So if you'd remember to pray for Nicky, I'd be really helpful. And with that in mind, I bet you all have names that you would love us to pray for. So we're going to pray just now, okay? Heavenly Father, you're a good, good Father. That's who you are. And we're loved by you. That's who we are and how amazing this is, Lord. We thank you for your love and your care, for your mercy it was demonstrated through Jesus that you love the world so much, not only our planet, but all the people on this little planet. And uh, we thank you. Thank you, Lord, that every woman and man and child and young person here at Forest View is precious in your sight. I'd like to pray for Nikki now, for the trauma that he's gone through. And I would pray, Lord, we might just lift up some names to you right now of people who are really in our hearts, who we love and who we pray for your intervention in those lives, Lord Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit. And we pray as we you know, have launched into this new year, Lord, that as members of your family, you will help us here at Forest View to open up with one another, to welcome people well, and to really know and experience what it means to, to, to love others and to be loved, to, to know other people and to be known, and to serve others and to be served as part of your family, Lord. We, we pray that you'll bless the pastoral care here. We thank you for Nancy and for the beautiful ministry she's done all these years, and for her ongoing care for people too. But we pray, Lord, that everyone here, with no exceptions, will sense how long and wide and high and deep is the love of God for us as you pour it out through one another. Now, Lord, in the mystery of your Holy Spirit, we pray that you'll speak to us deeply in our hearts this morning. Open our eyes. Help us to see the wonderful things in your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're partway through a series called 
uh, the, the parables or living the parables. And the title is Moved. And the idea, if you remember from last week, is that Jesus told parables not just to interest people or to, or to gather uh, more information or to give more information, but that our lives would actually be transformed and changed. And I just wanted to say something I didn't say last week about the four soils. Do you remember the planting the seeds and the four different kinds of soil? At different times, I can be all four soils. I really can. I can be hard. I can be quite shallow. I can be blocked and confused and distracted by all the stuff of life. But I'll tell you what, I want to be good soil. And I believe you do too. And that was something that we wanted to demonstrate last week as well. Well, this week, then we're going to be looking at grace in action. Grace in action. And the context, I'm going to read this to you in a moment. The context is that there's a a meal, and the guy who's invited Jesus to come to the meal uh, is very happy that he has this important person at his, at his meal. So he's going to leave the door open, and if you're ever in the Middle East or in places where it's hot like this, doors are open, windows are open, and actually when you have a big gathering, an important person there, people come around and listen through the windows and stand at the door. And in fact, in the Middle East, that would happen, is the neighbors would come and they'd actually stand all around the periphery of the room while the meal was going on. And so the person who was the host loved for this to happen because this, of course, he had an important person at his table, so he'd like everybody to know this. So this is what's happening in this story, okay? And they would be sitting there with a table in the center like this, and they would all be on little couches and leaning in, and then they'd be reaching over to grab the food and come like this, so their feet were sort of like spokes around the thing like this, okay? So let me read this thing from Luke chapter 7. Now, one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with them, so he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town, so everybody knew her, learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster jar of perfume, very expensive, and as she stood behind him at his feet, she was weeping, and she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair and kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who's touching him and what kind of a woman she is. She's a a sinner. And Jesus answered him, Simon, I, I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me, teacher, he said. Two men owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50, so 10 times as much, right? Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he canceled the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon replied, I suppose the one who had the bigger debt canceled. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman, and I think they locked eyes. I think that's what this means. He turned toward the woman, and then he said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. This was customary. You'd wash a person's feet because everybody wears sandals. um, 
you did not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. Often the host would kiss on both cheeks, especially the most important guest. You did not put oil on my head, which was also customary, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, for she loved much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine what that did to this lady's heart? Oh, thank you, Jesus. The other guests began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? Sort of like, who does he think he is? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Beautiful, beautiful story. I want us to look at the different people who are in this story. First of all, the woman. The woman comes seeking grace and forgiveness. She knows she's a sinner. She knows her reputation. She comes to Jesus seeking grace and forgiveness, and she needs to break through walls in order to get there. What are the walls? One, she's a woman in a very male-dominated and sexist society. And probably all the people in the room were men, and she had to come in there and, and come to Jesus. Secondly, she's a, a known sinner, so notorious uh, in some respects. So the Pharisees, who were these religious hoity-toity, better, holier-than-thou people, right, for her to walk into a place where she knew she would be despised is a huge, huge barrier. And the third thing was her social class, that the Pharisees were very well-educated. They were people who could sit around and study the Bible all the time from the Old Testament. That's all they had at the time. And they thought of themselves as really, really wonderful, spiritually rich people. And so when she comes in like this, she would be none of those things. Yet she draws near to Jesus, and she counts the cost, and she identifies that Jesus is the one that she really needs in order to have her soul fixed, her spirit fixed, her sins forgiven, and her relationship with God established. So in the face of known public rejection, she approaches Jesus. Now, the second person is, is the Pharisee. He is part of the religious elite of his time. And what we see is that he has no grace. In fact, he puts up walls. He doesn't tear them down. He wants to wall off this woman. And he thinks, in fact, if Jesus knew who she was, that he would wall off and keep away and isolate this woman as well. He's just quite wrong on that. Does he think that God has no use for this woman? Does he think that this woman is beyond the reach of Almighty God? I suppose he does. And he freezes her in her past. He knows what she was, and he locks her in there. She's a sinner, notorious sinner. And I was trying to think this week, what, so what might be like his maybe higher motives in doing what he's doing at just, you know, discriminating against her like this? He might be saying, you know what? God desires purity, and she's not pure. She's not. 
uh, I am pure. I'm keeping the law. I'm a Pharisee. I know the Bible. I'm so I need to separate from her. I need to isolate her somehow because I cannot let her think that I condone her behavior. So I've got to treat her sort of meanly like this. I think he feels very justified. He might be saying, you know what, God is holy and I'm holy and she's not holy, so not her. And in fact, he judges Jesus. If he were a prophet, he would know. Of course, Jesus does know <laughs> all about her. So now we come to Jesus. This Pharisee guy, no grace at all. He builds up walls with people who are different. Jesus shows amazing grace. He sees no walls. Oh, he knows there are walls all around, but he doesn't see them because his heart is wide open to this woman and really to all who will turn to him. Does Jesus know she's a sinner? What do you think? <laughs> Just like he knows every one of us. Um, but he sees the potential. He doesn't lock her in her past, right? He sees the potential that love and forgiveness can make in a person's life. He sees the transformational power when love is extended and grace is extended and forgiveness is offered to a person. He knows this, so that's what he offers. Jesus, if you'll recall, is the exact representation of God. So if we want to know what God likes and doesn't like, we look at Jesus. And uh, God does not like sin. God does not love sin. Jesus doesn't love sin, but oh, does he love the sinner. <laughs> this is amazing, isn't it, eh? It really is. So he loves grace. He loves forgiveness. He loves to offer this. You know what he hates? He hates a judging, condemning spirit that cuts people out, that isolates them and isolates us, and that condemns other people, and rules and laws that do this, that cut people out. I, I was thinking of the Sermon on the Mount and how Jesus started it off in Matthew chapter 5 where uh, I see all the Pharisees on one side wearing their big hats and their robes and their... You know, they're sort of off to the side from all the hoity-toity over there, the hoi polloi, the, you know, unwashed, dirty. And so the rest of the people, all of us, are over here. Well, I don't know. you. Okay, you'll have to decide where you're standing. Anyway, I'm over here. I'll tell you that much. So here we are, and we're just, we're just a whole bunch of working flogs, right? We're doing our best to get money. We don't have the time to sit around like these rich guys over here and study the Bible all the time. We're just, we're just working to get food for the table and trying to love our family and do whatever we can and so on. And so these guys over here, these Pharisees, they're over here because we're clearly, we're the, clearly the spiritual rich. We are. And over here, all these people are saying, oh man, I wish I had more time to study, you know, the Bible and be educated, like, but I know I'm spiritually poor. And so Jesus stands up there and the first thing he says is, blessed are you who are spiritually poor, who are poor in spirit, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And can you see these guys over here? Oh, 
I don't think so. Not those unwashed, filthy. Ours is the kingdom of heaven. We're the spiritually rich people. And can you see the spiritually poor people who just say, what? For, For us? God's kingdom is for us too? We have the possibility of coming to know God like this? Open to us? And I see Jesus doing this exactly in this situation here as well. He throws the door wide open to this woman who's notoriously sinful. The parable. So we come to the parable that there's big debt and little debt. Is that where we are here? Yeah. So who will love more? And it's the person who had the bigger debt forgiven, but it doesn't have to be. You know, if we all knew what it was that Christ has forgiven us of and how he's welcomed us with such wide open arms and brought us into his family, we would be overwhelmed by his grace and by his mercy. When we see what Jesus Christ has done for us, we become very thankful and we want to love him back. And then we want to take that compassion that he's given us and we want to give it out to other people however we can. So how does God work? First of all, God comes to us, which is a beautiful thing. He left the grandeurs of heaven and he came here, right, in the person of Jesus. How amazing. And God's fundamental way of transforming people is to make an offer, to offer forgiveness and to offer grace as a free gift. His fundamental method is not to condemn and to judge. I think you know this because of John 3, 16 and 17. Somebody help me. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whoever believes in him will never perish but will have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. (laughs) That's good news. That's lovely news. That's our Jesus, and that's what we see in this passage of Scripture here. God throwing the door wide open, coming not to condemn, but to save. Now, Some might suggest, even some theologians might suggest, that having such compassion and grace like this is a spiritual liability. That in fact we need to be harder on sin. We need to be harsher on judgment. We need to be stronger on the wrath of God when we look at this story, I I find myself very convicted, just to be very honest with you. Who is it who judges and condemns? It's the religious guy, which I'm just telling you, I can be at times like that. Are you with me? Well, who is it who offers freedom, forgiveness, and reaching out and, and loving those who are different and who are who we would consider sinners. It's Jesus. That's how he works. And that's how he calls us to work. I'm thinking of two youth pastors, not in this church, (laughs) 
Uh, but two guys that I've known and one youth pastor, his basic, basic method of motivating the students he was working with was disappointment and displeasure. So he'd take a kid aside and say, you know what, I'm really disappointed in the way you did this. I gave you responsibility and you didn't do it well and I'm disappointed in you and I'm disappointed in this. Judgment. And do you know what happened to that youth group? They fled. <laughs> I'm thinking of another youth pastor whose major motivation tool was to love and offer forgiveness and point to Jesus. And so many of those kids under his care grew up to love and serve, and they're still serving Jesus today. So, who are you? <laughs> who are you in this story? Well, I'll tell you. I'm, I'm the woman coming to Jesus over and over. I need him over and over. Am I the Pharisee? You know what? At times I am. God forgive me. I want, do you know who I want to be like? <laughs> Is Jesus to reach out with the offer of forgiveness and, and relationship and so on. Does Jesus stand there? Okay, you clean up your business first and then you come and see me. Does that look like Jesus to you? Not at all. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come on. This is our Jesus. So I want to ask you a question just now, and I'm going to ask you to just have a little discussion at your table, all right, for five minutes. So it won't be too uncomfortable. Somebody's going to have to say something in the first five minutes, and then we'll stop you. But here's the question. Oh, maybe it's up there. Why were those people who were outside the faith, like tax collectors and sinners, and a lot of people think this lady was a, ran a brothel or something, right? They don't know for sure, but she was a known sinner. But anyway, why were they so drawn to Jesus? What did they sense from him that made Jesus and his message of such an interest? And how can we at Forest View Church, launching into these, you know, 26 years down, here we go, into the future. How can we at Forest View Church, without walls, be more like Jesus. Now, I don't want to be the Pharisee who's putting up walls. But I think we want to be like Jesus, who's reaching out to all. So, around your table, that's your job just now, okay? I'm thinking about who am I there, but also who do we want to be as a church and how can we do this better? Can you do this? Okay, dismissed. I mean, engage or whatever. Make it so. What is it? <laughs>